Hey church, we are in week three now of our meta series where we're looking at the broader narrative of God's story. Uh, week one, we learned about the creation story and the precious nature of humans being made in the image of God. And last week, week two, uh, we left on a bit of a cliffhanger where God and humanity were separated from each other after Adam and Eve uh, did the opposite of what God asked them to do. Now, God looked like he had turned his back on us forever, but wait, the story goes on. And as per usual, God has a very good plan. Uh, There's a a bunch of funny names at Gateway, uh, in our in-person church. We've got Burjo, we've got Singe, we've got Tree, and I've heard some pretty cool nicknames in my time, so I thought I'd start by sharing a few of those. Uh, One of my favorites is Milky. So this, this guy lost a few toes in an accident. So his mates at the footy club lovingly started to call him Milky because he lacks toes, which sounds like lactose. He lacks toes. Charming. Second one's a guy I went to school with, Phil. Uh, one, one day, you know, late in high school, he changed his name to Ben on Facebook. And I thought he was sort of playing a prank on us. So, But when I asked him, it turns out that early in year seven, all the way at the start of high school, uh, some of his mates changed his name on Facebook to Phil as a joke and called him Phil in person in real life as well. And so to my surprise, the whole time, his name was actually Ben. <laughs> I didn't know for years. It's crazy. <clears throat> yeah, the last one is uh, a friend of mine, Meatballs. The story goes he was at, at work and they were taking down a Subway order uh, on a piece of paper. So they had a column for your name and a column for the type of sandwich topping that you wanted. Uh, so, you know, Lucy, Italian or whatever. But he just wrote meatballs in the name section. So when the sandwiches came, uh, they were calling out, you know, Lucy, yeah, that's me, Jack, yep. Meatballs? Yeah, yep, that's me. That's been his new, new name for years. And I've actually been calling him meatballs for so long, I don't even remember his real name. <laughs> oh, it's, it's good. It's some classic nickname stories. I'd love to hear some of yours in the comments. Uh, we, we see some names change every now and then. Uh, in the Bible as well. But when they do, it's not just like for a funny nickname like Meatballs. Uh, it's, today we will generally talk about name meetings and maybe a baby dedication and occasionally it might come up at a party uh, in, in a random conversation, but it doesn't really mean much what your, your name means. Um, but names and what they meant back then in Bible times had a much more significance. So when you see a name change in the Bible, it symbolizes like a complete shift in that person's identity. And one of these people uh, was a guy called Abram. And in his story, told in a book from the Bible called Genesis, God tells Abram that he plans to bless him because Abram is a, a faithful and selfless person in a world full of selfish people. Uh, he says, you know, Abraham, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your descendants. Uh, then God asks Abram uh, to move his family across the country and to follow God. And Abram obeys God and moves his whole family, trusting that God would provide for them. Uh, and at one point, God gave Abram a new name, and that was Abraham. You might have heard of it. And this change acted as a reminder of a powerful promise that God gave him. And that was to become the beginning of an entire nation of people, uh, all devoted to God. So let's uh, have a quick uh, scripture reading of Genesis 15 
and then also Genesis 15, 1 to 7. I'll read that now. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Elezia of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants is going to be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all of these to him and, and killed them. Then he cut each of the animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half and vultures came down, but Abram chased them away. And as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But, I will punish the nations that enslave them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. And after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites don't yet warrant their destruction. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I've given this land to your descendants. And then chapter 17 says, After, well, when Abraham was 99 years old, the, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you for generation to generation. This is my everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. There you go. So God changed Abram's name from Abram, which means exalted father, into the widely known Abraham, which means father of a multitude, which is based off that promise of God saying, I'm going to give you a multitude of descendants. So by changing his name, God reminds Abraham and his descendants and us that God will forever continue to bless and protect his people. The name is a reminder 
But it's the type of promise that God makes in this story that is incredibly special. And this type of promise is something called a covenant. And a covenant between God and Abraham is the first of a few that we'll see across this meta broader Bible narrative series. Um, a covenant, it's like a promise, but it's far more binding. Sort of an example of it, in Australia, a handshake, shaking someone's hands, is a legally binding oral contract. So if I had a cheap car and I said, oh, I'll give you my car for $500 and we shook on it, you could actually take me to court if I changed my mind because we'd made a, an actual deal that's a legally binding contract. Now, obviously, probably the legal fees are going to outweigh the $500, but like a covenant is a life and death version of this. In this version of a covenant, two people might get together and they'll make a significant agreement, something like, uh, let our people never go to water more again. We'll always we'll be, be at peace. And then to make sure that that agreement was agreed on, they would take some animals and they cut them in half, putting one half of the animal on one side of the path and the other half on the other side of the path. And then they would both walk through the path covered in blood and bits of animal bits. It's very gruesome. It's all around them. And what this was essentially saying was, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, then I deserve to be cut in half like these animals. It's a very serious promise. It's the most extreme and powerful form of a promise. And we see this done for the first time between God and humanity when God is making this promise to Abraham to give him descendants and a large amount of land. And in those times, uh, that was a blessing of wealth, security, power, longevity, like land was significant. And this was a blessing that infected, it affected Abraham's entire bloodline, the entire people of, of God. Hundreds of generations of people were all blessed because of this covenant between God and Abraham, all the way to Jesus and even to us today. It's all affected by this covenant. Now there's a really cool part uh, and I want to read this part again. It comes right after the animals have been cut in half and the path sort of set for them to both walk through. It says, After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. So this is God. God is the flaming fire pot and God is a flaming torch. And he passes between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day and said, I've given this land to you and your descendants and so on. Did you notice, not only did God walk through the path to show his commitment to his promise to Abraham, but he chose to walk through the path alone. Abraham doesn't walk in between the halves of the animals. This means that even if Abraham didn't hold up his side of the deal, which was to be faithful to God alone, God would still uphold his side of the deal bless him and his descendants. God took all of the risk of that agreement and said, even if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I promise to do it regardless. And after this, Abraham continues to show his faithfulness, still holding up his side of the deal. God extends his blessing even further because of this. It says later in the story, uh, through Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed all because you, Abraham, have obeyed me. 
So looking through the Bible, this is a, a meta. Uh, this is a meta idea because it's a it's a pattern that God has. It's a pattern of God's love. God is faithful to His promise and takes care of Abraham's descendants, no matter how many times they fail. He stays true to His word. Now, I fail to be this graceful in my relationships all the time. If I'm cooking and I'm in task mode, like cooking up some spaghetti or something, Beth, my wife, will, she'll try to come in and help and uh, she's, you know, she's doing the right thing. But about every time, I'll get all snarky and annoyed. She's in my way and she's not doing the, the spaghetti my way or silly stuff, silly stuff. Uh, and then, you know, then I'll, I'll know in that moment, I'm the annoying one. In this scenario, Beth's trying to help and I'm being I'm being silly, but I refuse to own up and refuse to apologize until later in the night. Um, you know, it's just my own pride. But this is the opposite of God, right? The pattern of God is to be graceful in spite of us not doing it His way. And this is wild because in this world, generally the, the trade that's agreed on you know, universally is, you know, be good to the people who are good to us. You know, you do, if you do, good things to me, I'll sort of do a good thing back to you. But God has this, frankly, ridiculous grace. It doesn't make any sense. Like, where He loves us and is good to us, even when we aren't good back. It's crazy. This isn't this isn't a free pass, though. We still do make a promise to obey God and to love Him back in this relationship that we have with Him. And even if those consequences have already been taken care of by Jesus, we still need to do our best to honor this by following his directions anyway, even though we don't share the risk that he's already paid for, if that makes sense. Even if we don't always get it right, we've still got to give it a crack. <laughs> and I don't get it right all the time, definitely, but it's still worth giving it a crack. God, all throughout the Bible, continues to love his people, regardless of what they do. God puts all of the risk of his love onto himself. And true to his word, all the nations of the earth have been blessed through the descendant of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise that was made thousands of years before Jesus came. Jesus extends this blessing on Abraham's family to us, to you and me, through Jesus, God continues to love us regardless of what we do. He asks us to obey him and be faithful to him the same way he asks Abraham and his descendants. But Jesus pays the full price for every time we get that wrong. And he chooses to love us anyway. Jesus walks through the broken pieces of our lives alone so that we don't have to. He chooses to bless us and to love us with covenant love, unconditionally promised love. No matter what, He loves you. Not because of what you do, but because of who He is. And if there's something that you're holding on to, an unforgiveness, a frustration, a struggle, like Jesus has already done the work and paid the price for that thing. It's like, let, let Jesus, let God walk through the pieces for you and like our our sort of part in this um, is that we get to share this story with people every day this is the hope of the world 
And we are the bringers of that good news to people. You can bring it to your workmates, your school friends, your family. The, the promise that we can be a part of as we follow the path of God has for each of our unique lives is that God is going to love us anyway. And that's a story worth sharing. And just like Abraham, we're here to be blessed and to be a blessing. Our part in this whole thing is to just love God back and obey Him. We don't always get it right, but that is why Jesus died on the cross and came back from death for us so that we can try again as many times as we need to do the things that He created us to do, to fulfill those unique promises that God has made with you, with each of us. That's a very worthwhile story worth sharing. I'm going to pray this morning. God, thank you so much for the covenant that you've made, for the unconditional love that you have for us, um, for what you've done on the cross and for preparing our story and for, and for forgiving us no matter how many times we stuff it up. You bless us. You show us how to be a blessing to others. God, teach us to do those things well. Jesus, we love you so much and we thank you so much for everything you've done and everything that you will do. Help us to share that story. In your name.